Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. It's on page 977 in the Black Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to grab one of ours. That is our gift to you. And if you're new to a Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the small numbers are the verse numbers. Hear the reading of God's word. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he has, had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves that are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful. We are grateful that we have your scriptures. That through your Apostle Paul, we know your will. We know the truth of you who have sent us out on mission in mercy. You have called us out into the light. We ask now that you would continue to reveal your will to us. That as the scripture says, that we would grow up. That is our goal. That is our hope. And it will happen in accordance with the working of your spirit. And so would you make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we have been in the book of Ephesians. And today we are hitting a pretty huge portion of scripture. And there is so much there. I think that I'm giving, I'm going to give an overview today, kind of the upshot of everything that Paul is going to talk about in these 16 verses. And then in, a, in about a month, when we come back to Ephesians, I'm going to tackle it again, some of the more specific parts. I don't want to miss things here, but I also don't want to miss the forest for the trees. So this morning, we're going to do the whole thing. Last week, what we said is that we are now, as Christians, living in a new world. That verse 1 there tells us that we are living in a new world. Before, we lived as religious people. Whether or not you believed in God. We lived as people who were motivated by the works in our lives. Motivated then by guilt and fear. 
I obey because I need, to, need God to accept me. But now on the other side of the cross, now that we believe the gospel, our motivation is much different. Our motivation for right living, for holiness, is not fear or guilt, but it is joy. Joy in the knowledge that Jesus has saved us. He has given us something too wonderful that we can even express with words. And so now we live in that emotional, spiritual truth and live in obedience and gratitude to him. I am accepted by him, therefore I obey. And so finally, we are at a place where we can start to unpack that, and that's what we are going to do this morning, to live for him. Remember what Francis Schaeffer asked? The book title was, Now How Should We Live? And that is our question this morning. That's where we're going to begin to answer. And I'm just going to give you the overarching point, and then we're going to begin to unpack it. Our goal is maturity. Our goal is to grow up to be like Christ, to be spiritually mature. And so ask yourself right now, are you spiritually mature? Is this your goal, spiritual maturity in Jesus? Let's talk through it. Three points this morning. One, striving toward maturity Two, struggling out of immaturity and then sprouting up finally in maturity. Striving, struggling, sprouting. Point one, striving toward maturity. Read verse one. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now again, this is a a big uh, section, a big passage of scripture and we need to make sure that we're seeing everything clearly and so I actually want to jump down to verse 13 I think this is the upshot this is where he's going to explain everything that has gone before what does verse 13 say what is the goal as individuals as the church it is to become spiritually mature verse 13 Ephesians 4 13 until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood. Now, I don't want you to get tripped up by the word manhood. This doesn't have anything to do with gender. He's talking about the collective body of Christ unified under Jesus. Our goal is maturity, spiritual maturity. Our spiritual destiny, in other words, is to grow up. Our spiritual destiny is to sprout into a beautiful flower, to grow into a strong and gloriously fruitful tree. But we won't look like a tree. We will look like Jesus. Verse 13 again. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the measure. The measure is the fullness of Jesus. It is not Billy Graham or Elizabeth Elliot, or St. Augustine, or Martin Luther, or Amy Carmichael, or a million other people, a million other great men, a million other great men and women. No, our sights are set on Jesus. Our goal for maturity is to be like him. What does verse 15 say? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into 
Christ. Our spiritual destiny is to grow in maturity to such a great degree that we even become like our Savior. That is amazing. That's the overarching goal. Becoming more and more spiritually mature as individuals, as people inside the church, as the church itself grows in maturity. But what does this look like? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? Well, I think that he starts to unpack it in verse 2. Let's start from verse 1. Back up to verse 1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now listen. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's a mouthful, but what does he say? He says humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity, and peace. That is spiritual maturity. That is the top of the mountain. That is the overarching goal. That is how you will become like Christ, because that is who Christ is. Humble, gentle, patient, loving, bringing the church together by his peace. Let's just quickly unpack those. Humility. Humility. What is humility? Humility is the deeply held belief that you ain't better than anyone. Humility is the deeply held belief that you are better than no one. And I got to be honest, this is always counterintuitive to me. Because the people who are the humblest in my life, the the most humble people that I know, are usually the ones who have the greatest reasons to boast. But they do not. They would not even consider it. They are saved. They believe by grace, just like everyone else. They are better than no one. Spiritual maturity is humility. Gentleness, gentleness. Now, I think this flows out of humility. That's why he puts it right after humility, gentleness. We are to be gentle. We are to be meek and tender and compassionate because we know we are better than no one. Harshness and brashness, overbearingness, I think that actually comes from arrogance. It comes when we have power over people, when we feel superior. We will treat them harshly for not acting the ways that we do. They're not growing up as fast as they should. Humility leads to our gentleness. We do not treat anyone harshly. We are concerned about how we say everything. We kill with kindness. My instinct as a parent, when I want my kids to obey, my instinct is to yell louder, right? And to get angrier. Not only does it not work, if I'm thinking about it, if I'm trying to become spiritually mature, I flip that on its head. I want to aid it and I go to gentleness. And most of the time, that works far better. That goes with all people. Spiritual humility Gentleness, that is maturity. Patience, patience. Okay, here's the, here's the proper definition of the Greek word for patience here. I got this out of a Greek dictionary. Patience is a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. I think I knew what patience meant before, but not really. 
a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation, people treating you badly, or misfortune, things going badly. And you stand in front of that and you do not complain and you are not irritated. No matter how badly you are treated, no matter your circumstances, you don't freak out. You don't complain. You don't lose it. You remain calm, thoughtful, and even hopeful. You understand in your spiritual maturity that your anxiety, as Jesus says, will not solve the problems of your tomorrow. Spiritual maturity is patience. Spiritual maturity means bearing one another in love. I can honestly probably tell you that I can do all the things before this, humility, gentleness, and patience, as long as I'm by myself. If I'm by myself, I don't have to deal with any other people. Man, I'm an awesome Christian. The second people come into my life, which happens pretty often, all bets are off. All bets are off. All bets are off. The call of the Christian is to walk in love by bearing one another up, by enduring one another in love. And this means that we treat people, that we love them, not just when they are doing what they should be, not just when they are acting as they ought to act, not just when they are being loving or lovable. We are to love them even when they are unlovable. And maybe especially so. Spiritual maturity is humility and gentleness and patience and love. And finally, unity and peace. Maybe you would not add this if you were writing out this list. That is so important to Paul. Verse 3 says that we must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Spiritual maturity is marked by our community. Emphasis on the last part. Our unity with others. Paul understands that spiritual maturity means closeness, oneness, peace, and unity with other believers. We know we are mature when we are eager for unity, when we are striving to meet with, break bread with, live with each other. Now, Ketron already mentioned their small group today. I actually had this in my sermon today. He mentioned it. They are probably the most loving, unified group of, small group of people I have ever seen. I've actually tried, I've been the small group overseer for 10 years now, and I've tried to break that group up for good reasons, not for bad reasons, for good reasons. I want to multiply them. I want to have more groups for more people to join, but they are like magnets and they always find their way back to each other. I can't do it. They won't let me because they love each other. They love each other. And it is because I believe they are spiritually mature, dependent on each other, bearing each other up in love. That is spiritual maturity. It is a, it's, a, it's a big thing. It is a tall order. So I just want to say two more things about spiritual maturity, just in general, to kind of help us think this through. How are we to think about our own growth, our own spiritual maturity. Well, if we are becoming spiritually mature, two things will be evident. It will be inevitable and gradual. Spiritual maturity in our lives, inwardly and also in the church, will be inevitable and gradual. Let's take the first one. Spiritual maturity will be inevitable. It is inevitable. In other words, when you become a Christian you got to expect to grow. 
You should expect to become more humble, gentle, patient, loving. Just like we would be concerned if a child stopped growing physically, so we should be concerned if we stopped growing spiritually. So when when our daughter turned one, she had no teeth. No teeth. And I freaked out. I freaked out because I thought, kids have teeth by now. She should have teeth. Now, I'm not a pediatrician or a dentist, but I was certain that this was, this was not okay. There was something wrong with my daughter. Now, I started to think through all the possibilities, and I'm not kidding because I'm a crazy person. I thought to myself, is there such a thing as baby dentures? And because I'm crazy, I actually determined that there was, and so I went looking on the internet. So I didn't find any, but then I went to the doctor. We took her to the doctor, and I said, shouldn't she have teeth by now? And my doctor politely told me that everything was okay, her teeth would come in soon enough, and that I should seek professional help. Now, to my credit, to my credit, my instinct, my at least general instinct is correct. Babies grow. Children grow. If they are not growing We should be concerned, so too, our spiritual lives. In our striving towards maturity, we should expect growth. We should expect to grow in humility and patience and love. We should expect to grow closer together in unity. Now, if you're thinking right now, that ain't me. I do not feel that. I do not feel like I am growing at all. I get that, and I am there with you often. That's where we must say that though our growth is inevitable, it will be gradual. In other words, our growth will take time. One summer I was with my kids in an Andover park, and they have this amazing, I think it's a maple tree, and you can't really see it unless you're standing hundreds of feet back, and I'm just looking at this thing. And I thought to myself, that's what I want to be someday. Not the actual tree. I want to be full, strong, mature, fruitful. But I also looked at that tree, and I know that that's going to be me. I know that's the picture that I need to have because it's going to take a long time. I am progressing gradually. It's taking me time to grow up in Christ, and it will for you. Yes, you'll have moments, you'll have seasons where you sprout up quickly, but most of the time, it's almost imperceptible. And so it's best actually not too much to look forward to see where we have to go, where we have not yet reached, but actually to look backward on who we used to be, to see how far you have come. Ask yourself questions like, are you more humble than you were a year ago? Are you more patient than you were five years ago? Are you more lovingly committed to your church than you were 10 years ago? Friends, we are all striving towards maturity. But we are also struggling out of immaturity. That's the second point. We are struggling out of immaturity. Maturity. Our goal is maturity in Christ. Then our struggle will be dealing with who we already are, who we are right now. And who we are, in a sense, is immature. Or as Paul says, we are children. Verse 13 again. Until we all attain, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now listen, verse 14 
so that we may no longer be, what does it say? Children. Children. We are to grow out of our immaturity, our childishness. I heard a preacher say inwardly, we are actually a lot like toddlers. We are just out of the gate. We're just starting this new life. We are like toddlers. So let's just think through some of the ways that we are like toddlers. Number one, toddlers are gullible. They're gullible. They don't know what is good for them or what is bad for them. We put childproof locks and those little inserts into electrical outlets. We have poison control on speed dial because toddlers don't know anything. I heard Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, say once that toddler judgment is horrible. They don't have any. Put a 12-month-year-old on a bed and they will immediately try and crawl off headfirst like a lemming on a mindless migration mission. Paul says that we are spiritually like children, toddlers, gullible. In verse 14, after he says that about children, he says that we are tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In other words, we have this problem of not knowing what is good and what is bad. We will eat whatever is in front of us. We will listen to whatever anyone tells us. We will go with the last thing anyone ever said to us. But the spiritually mature person knows the good from the bad. They know what is true, what is false. They know who to listen to. They are not the six-foot dinghy out in the open ocean. They are now a strong, massive ocean liner, able to withstand any storm that comes. Toddlers are also self-centered. Babies are self-centered. Children are self-centered. It is about them all the time, right? All the time. When they are hungry or thirsty, or they have a dirty diaper, or they're just bored, they scream to their parents for attention. One of the hardest jobs in the world is being a mom or a parent because 24-7 you must deal with tiny people who live to take and take to live. We are the same. It might not be as pronounced. We might hide it away better, but we are still like this. We are egocentric, self-centered, self-consumed. A couple weeks ago, we said we are incurvitous in say. We are curved in on ourselves. We experience everything from our perspective. Everything we do comes from the me lens. How does this affect me? How will this suit me? How will this help me? But remember, the spiritually mature, they are humble. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. I'm beating myself up for who I am. Humility actually is thinking of yourself less. You do not care as much about your own needs and your wants. That is spiritual maturity. Toddlers also believe that their circumstances are the main problems of their lives. Toddlers believe the circumstances are the main concern of their lives. They believe that if only they could get what they wanted, when they wanted it, they would be happy. Are we like that? Spiritually, we are like that. We struggle. Years and years ago, I applied for a position at a church. And I got a call and they told me that I was down to the last three 
candidates, and I was so happy. I was so pleased. And I remember going to my wife and saying, isn't God so good? And then a few months later, they called, and they said they chose someone else. And I said, my life is ruined. I was not spiritually mature. Those who are spiritually mature do not allow their earthly circumstances to rule them. They have discovered that earthly circumstances, they come and they go, but the Lord, he remains forever. They sing with Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Boy, I am not there yet. But that is where I'm striving to be. I'm struggling out of my spiritual immaturity and trying to become like Habakkuk. Last thing, toddlers are fiercely independent. They are fiercely independent. Even though babies totally need us, they would die without us, they act like they don't. My favorite um, phase of parenting was when my kids decided that they could do their seatbelt on their own, right? Like, no, you can't. But yes, they will. Okay, I guess I will take an hour and wait for you. (laughs) Independent. I can do this by myself. I don't need you. We are independent. We have this streak inside of us. We believe that we can survive on our own without God and without the church. And I think this only gets worse as we grow physically independent, financially independent. We can do it. We can make it through this life. Unless you understand that you actually cannot. The spiritually mature understand that they are nothing without the church and without Jesus. As you mature, you realize, as you mature spiritually, you realize how dependent you are. Though you may be physically and intellectually and professionally and financially independent, you realize now your great spiritual need and you need the people of God to support you. You need God's love to sustain you. We, friends, we are struggling out of immaturity. Last point this morning. Sprouting in maturity. Sprouting in maturity. Our goal is maturity in Christ, and we need to know how to get there. How do we grow up? Now, there's a million things we can say, but I'm just going to narrow it down to four right now. How do we grow up in Christ to become like him? First, to grow maturity, you must ground yourself in the truth. Ground yourself in the truth. In verse 3, Paul calls, calls for the unity of the church. And then in verse 4, he says this. Verse 4, read it. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, there's a lot there, I understand. But his main point is that we are united because our faith is united where we are united as a people because we have one faith, one God, one baptism, one Lord. 
He is over us. He is in us. He is through us. He is the ground now in which we plant ourselves. To grow spiritually, we must believe this. We must believe the united truth of God and the gospel. Well, how does Peter say it? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. We might eat food, solid food later, but we always come back to the milk. The milk is the truth of God. Ground yourself. Grow out of the truth. Two, put your gifts to work. Listen closely. Put your your gifts to work. Verse 7, what does it say? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, So we just said that we are united in the faith, right? We are one people. We are not a bunch of people who are exactly the same. No, we are different. And we are different according to the gifts that Jesus has given to us by his grace. Paul says this very clearly in verse 11 that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Why does he say that? He's saying that by your gifts, you must build the body of Christ. By your personality, by your talents, you must put them to work where you are. You must serve the people of God, not mainly to grow yourself, but to grow others. Build up the church through your gifts. Now, this is so important that this is where we're going to come back to in a couple of weeks, in about a month. I want to spend some more time thinking through our spiritual gifts, what they are, and how we unleash them. One of the things we're going to say, I'm going to unpack more, is this third thing. Follow the lead of your leaders. Follow the lead of your leaders. Listen to verse 11 again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Now, it's not exactly clear who he's talking about. Some of these are no longer around like the apostles. We're not exactly sure what he means by the prophets, but we know for sure that evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, teachers are here. They are your leaders. In this church, they are leading you. And they exist to help you. They exist to equip you in teaching and training, to discover who you are, to discover your good gifts, and unleash you into the service of Christ. And I'm going to say this very clearly. If you feel neglected here, if you do not know what your gifts are, Come and talk to us. Let us help you. We are supposed to, we are to obey this command that we would help you discover your God-given gifts and find you a way to use them. We need you in this church. The last thing, and here's where we're going to end. Speak the truth in love. This may be the most important section we hear this morning. Speak the truth in love. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We grow out of our immaturity into maturity primarily by speaking the truth in love to each other. Now, there's two dangers embedded within this, aren't there? He is very intentional that it's truth and love. It is not just one, and it is not just the other. But that is a danger that first that we will speak the truth without love. 
that we will bring the truth to a person without love in our hearts for them. John Stott writes this. It's, I think it's hilarious. He's just a commentator. That He was this little British guy, and he says this. He says, thank, thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters the eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Now, that's funny to me, but it is absolutely true, and it's because this is where I tend. I tend to be a person who wants to defend truth at all costs. But Paul is so wise because he knows that truth does not come to people only intellectually, right? It does not just come by argument alone. People will hear the truth. They will be accepting of the truth when they know it is coming in love. And the other side of this is that you will only bring the truth in the right ways at the right times if you have love in your heart, if your heart is full of love. When you have the best, the, your, their best in mind, the person's best in mind, when you love them, that is when you know you can bring the truth to them. What's the opposite error? To have love without the truth. John said again, others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love. But in order to do so, they are prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Is that loving? I have a hard time believing that is loving. We think it is, though. That's the problem. We think that by withholding truth, by, by not showing it all, maybe by shifting it or changing it just a little bit, we think, well, that's loving. That's going to help our brother or sister but I say that is the least loving thing that you can do. Like a doctor who withholds a cancer diagnosis because he doesn't want his patient to feel fear. Or the financial planner who refuses to tell his client to stop spending money that he doesn't have. So we would withhold the truth from people, saying that is the loving thing to do. But it is the opposite. It is the opposite. The truth presented with humility and gentleness and patience. That is what is loving. Beth Moore, just uh, about a month ago, she stood in front of 20,000 college students at the Passion Conference down in the South, and she said this. She said, you will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will perhaps be the cleverest of all the devil's devil's schemes in your generation. Sacrifice truth for love's sake. And you will rise or fall based on whether you will sacrifice one for the other. And then she asked this question, will you have the courage to live in tension between both truth and truth? love. Not just for college kids. That is a question for us too. Understand that spiritual growth thrives in an environment of truth spoken in love. When you give others permission to speak truth to you in love, 
you will grow. When others courageously take you up on that offer, or even if you haven't given it, when they go to each other, when they speak the truth in love, there will be growth. Friends, we have so many blind spots. We have so many hidden sins. We are so childish. We need the kindness of a friend to tell us where we are falling short, where our lives are going off the rails, where we are gullible and self-centered and reckless, where we are arrogant and harsh and impatient and unloving. We need loving brothers and sisters to speak to us. Will you do it? Will you do it when the opportunity comes. Well, don't just do it on your own. Look to the example. Look to the truth of Jesus Christ. In the gospel, in the death of Jesus Christ, Jesus told us the absolute hardest truth that we will ever hear. He had to die for us. Our sin was so bad that he, the only son of God, had to die for us. He had to give up his life for us. It cannot get any worse than that. When you are feeling criticized, understand it's much worse than you think. When you are struggling with if you are worth it, if you are going to make it, if you are good enough, understand what the cross says. It says you were not. So anything anything that anyone brings to you, it cannot be as bad as what Jesus said to us on the tree at Calvary. But Jesus' act was at the same time the most loving thing anyone had ever done. He bore on that tree the sins, the iniquities of us all. It was laid on him. And so now that is how we go to others. We sacrifice ourselves for them. Friends, will you take the immaturity of your brothers and sisters seriously? Will you take your own immaturity seriously? Will you take up the cross and do the hard work of speaking the truth in love? Will you lay down your fear and pride and go to a friend who needs to hear from you? Will you love them with all of your gentleness and frankness? Will you do all you can to make sure your friends, your brothers and sisters in Jesus do not get tossed about? Would you go to them? Would you live your lives in community with them so that they would grow up, so they would become spiritually mature? That is an amazing calling. Let's pray. God, I'm excited. I'm excited for this church, that we would grab hold of this vision that you have given us to grow in spiritual maturity. God, raise our affections. We are so bogged down in the circumstances of our lives. We are so bogged down in job promotions and making it financially, finding the right friends, whatever it is. And you have lifted our eyes to see something greater, that we could become spiritually humble and patient and gentle and loving, what an amazing thing. Unleash us. Use us that we may grow each other. God, that is my heart. That is my request. And I pray it for me too. God, that this church would hold me accountable. That I would grow up in Christ. I am not even close. 
And God, would you make this part of our soul? Would you make us so mindful of this now as we go to the table? Would we be reminded of Jesus Christ, his living the truth in love for us? We ask this in his name. Amen.